Good afternoon. You're listening to KFSK News for Monday, October 16th. I'm Hannah Floor. There has never been a comfortable relationship between the federal government and the state over the Kuskokwim River. Each shares management of the river, and each has its own priorities. Now that the federal government has filed a lawsuit against the state, it's come to a head. The Alaska Federation of Natives has sided with the federal government. And as Rhonda McBride reports, a federal judge has allowed AFN to intervene in the case. The Kuskokwim River has historically provided a wealth of salmon to communities that hug her shores. Decades ago, her silty waters produced one of the largest king salmon fisheries in the state, enough to have both subsistence and commercial fisheries, as well as an abundance of chum salmon, sockeyes, and silvers. But over the decades, king salmon numbers crashed to a crisis point that restricted and sometimes even closed subsistence harvests. At that point, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service stepped in to enforce a federal rural subsistence priority in the lower stretches of the river, which flow through a federal wildlife refuge. The state continued to manage the fisheries upriver, outside the refuge. But in 2021, the state opened up the whole river to subsistence fishing to all Alaska residents because its managers felt there was a surplus of fish that season. But the federal government filed suit. It argued the state had not only overstepped its bounds, but also failed to manage for a rural subsistence priority, effectively breaking federal law. The Alaska Federation of Natives says it sought to join the federal lawsuit because it believes the state's actions threaten subsistence protections under the Alaska National Interest Lands Conservation Act, or ANILCA. AFN's legal counsel, Nicole Borromeo, says also at stake the landmark Katie John court case, which affirmed a rural priority for subsistence fishing. It does more than challenge Katie John. The state is arguing in no uncertain terms that Katie John is no longer good law. Katie John was a Mentasta elder who successfully sued the state to open a portion of the Copper River to subsistence fishing, where her family had fished for generations. It was a legal battle that went on for decades. We fought the battle. We've won the battle. We thought it was a war, but apparently the state has yet decided to mount up again for another legal attack on the rural priority. State Fish and Game Commissioner Doug Vincent Lang says it's the federal government that's picking this fight, not the state, which is simply following its constitutional duty to provide equal access to fish and game. 85% of those king salmon spawn above the refuge. So they're basically managing within the refuge for subsistence priority, but that's impacting our ability to meet escapements in the upper river. The commissioner also says the federal government is infringing on the state's authority over navigable waters. If we didn't respond to this, we would have accepted the fact that the federal government could replace state management, federal management on any waterway in Alaska that touches a federal reserve. And that becomes untenable. AFN agrees with the state on that point that this fight has far-reaching implications that will affect Alaska natives across the state and that the case may eventually have to go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court to be resolved. The state's been very clear that it will only stop if the U.S. Supreme Court tells them to. So we will need a ruling from the U.S. Supreme Court. I think it needs to be settled. 
It's an old battle that stems from a problem that's hard to fix. Conflicts in the Alaska Constitution with federal law that can only be resolved through a state constitutional amendment, which remains politically out of reach. In Anchorage, I'm Rhonda McBride. Petersburg's Borough Assembly will consider a new subdivision zoned for mobile homes at its meeting tonight. The Assembly will be taking public feedback on an ordinance to rezone a lot in a residential area of town. The meeting starts at 6 p.m. in the Assembly Chambers. KFSK's Shelby Herbert has more on the Assembly's agenda, which is the shortest it's had in the last couple of months. The Assembly will hear testimony on an ordinance to rezone a lot near the Severson subdivision from public use to single-family mobile home. Amber Burrell, owner of Skylark Park, LLC, says she's looking to subdivide the five-acre parcel to allow for the construction of manufactured and stick-built homes. The project has the Planning Commission's unanimous approval. Assemblymember Donna Marsh had previously expressed her skepticism of the idea through written communications with the borough. She said the section of Muskeg in question is cherished by neighborhood children, that the development would bring down the property value of nearby homes, and that it would compromise the cleanliness and safety of the neighborhood. However, Marsh walked back her stance on the project at last week's meeting. And I am 100% in favor of owners doing what they would like to do on their property. Still, she has some questions about the structures Skylark Park plans to install. I guess my thought is then, if before this project began, would there be a discussion on what kind of definitions we put forth to establish what mobile home is versus manufactured home and where it meets because as was noted earlier it can mean a a vehicle or a camper and i I would like to see uh, if there is going to be development a more permanent structure built rather than just people oh i can you know park my car there that that could actually that could that could change my perspective all the assembly members present including Marsh, passed the ordinance in its first reading. If it passes at tonight's meeting, it'll have one more vote to go. The Assembly will have two new faces at the table tonight to help make decisions. It'll be newly elected Assembly member Rob Schwartz's second meeting since he swore in last week. Returning Assembly member Jay Stanton Greger, who won his seat by just one absentee ballot last week, will take his oath of office at the start of the meeting. The Assembly will hear a report from the CEO of the Southeast Alaska Power Agency, Robert Seedman, who is in town this week. He'll report on SEPA activities at the meeting. The Borough Assembly has only one item of new business in front of them tonight. Vice Mayor Bob Lynn is requesting to direct Borough Manager Steve Giesbrecht to reach out to the Mental Health Trust Land Office about a possible land exchange. Lynn wants to trade a section of borough land for a popular recreational fishing spot owned by the state. It's a four and a half acre parcel on the banks of the Blind River Rapids, which the Mental Health Trust Land Office is currently attempting to auction off. The auction closes on November 27th, and the bidding starts at about $103,000. Not long ago, the land office approached the borough about a different land development project. A proposal to create a subdivision with over 100 lots between Blind River Rapids and Papke's Landing. At its meeting on September 5th, 
the assembly voted to decline. Lynn told KFSK that he's concerned that residents may not be able to continue fishing in the area if someone buys the parcel that's up for auction. In Petersburg, I'm Shelby Herbert. Do you know homeowners, businesses, and nonprofits that were affected by glacial outburst flooding in August may qualify for low-interest loans from the U.S. Small Business Administration. The federal agency stepped in after FEMA denied requests for disaster aid in late September. Public Information Officer Garth, Garth McDonald said the agency's disaster loans can help in scenarios that don't meet FEMA criteria. Our low-interest loans are really the primary federal recovery dollars that's available for long-term recovery. Our goal is to try to help people get as close to pre-disaster conditions as possible. The agency has opened a temporary outreach center at the Diamond Park Aquatic Center, where a customer service team will be available to answer questions and help with loan applications from now until October 24th. Businesses or nonprofits are eligible for a loan of up to $2 million while individual homeowners and renters can get up to $500,000 or $100,000, respectively. That money can be put towards rebuilding or repairing homes or replacing belongings that were lost in the flood. Like any loan, that money will have to be paid back. But the federal interest rates are much lower than the market rate, and those who get the money are exempt from repayment and accruing interest for the first year. Many people have already poured money into flood repair, but McDonald says this program could benefit them too. If they had already spent the money out of their retirement or credit cards or whatever it might have been, or a loan at higher interest, they can pay it off with the money we might be able to loan them. And this kind of loan is more flexible than insurance payouts or other forms of federal and state disaster aid. For instance, a percentage of the loan may be used for mitigation work, like bank fortification to protect properties from future floods. McDonald says people shouldn't be discouraged if they've been denied other kinds of assistance. Don't assume you're not going to get what you want. Don't assume that you're going to be denied. The application deadline for loans to cover individual property damage is December 5th of 2023. People who want to apply can find more information at disasterloanassistance.sba.gov. Unalaska may be getting its first legal cannabis dispensary but it's not a done deal yet. City officials say the only thing standing in a startup company's way is proper permitting. Dutch Harbor Cannabis Company was granted provisional approval for a marijuana license by the State Alcohol and Marijuana Control Office in August. Assistant City Manager Margie Veter told the City Council last month the store is working with the city on the next steps. The building permit is in process. I think it's pretty close. Michael Miller, a managing member of the Dutch Harbor Cannabis Company, tells KUCB the state fire marshal is currently reviewing building plans, saying, quote, once our retail space is built out and AMCO has done a site visit, we will be open for business, end quote. Miller says the company plans to hire local bud tenders and that they've already hired an Unalaska resident as the shop's general manager. Recreational cannabis was legalized in Alaska in early 2015. There are currently more than 150 cannabis dispensaries across the state. In 2016, Alaska voters overturned the city's ban on commercial sales, but no dispensaries have been opened. Miller says he expects Dutch Harbor Cannabis Company to open by spring of 2024. 
October is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and Alaska is ranked second to last nationwide in regular breast cancer screenings. That's according to a recent report that examined mammogram rates for women 50 and older. Cancer is the second leading cause of death in the United States, followed by following heart disease. In 2020, Alaska saw a significantly higher rate of breast cancer compared to other cancer types. Dr. Heather Tauchik is a radiologist at Imaging Associates in Anchorage. She says 10% of women have a family history of breast cancer and recommends women between the ages of 20 and 30 get a breast cancer risk assessment. You know, when you're in your 20s or your 30s, so that you know what your risk is, because then you may actually need to, a recommendation for um, increased breast cancer screening, maybe earlier, um, or you may want to add on, you know, mammography plus a screening MRI. While it isn't common for men to get breast cancer, Tashik says there is a small population of men in Alaska who receive regular mammograms. She says she diagnoses between 10 and 20 men with breast cancer every year. Many cases of breast cancer are inherited by what is known as the breast cancer gene, or BRCA. Typically, they either have a history of breast cancer um, or they have one of the BRCA mutations, BRCA mutation, which um, does increase the risk of men having breast cancer to a degree where screening is helpful. According to the National Breast Cancer Foundation, a breast self-exam uses a combination of physical and visual examinations of the breast to check for signs and symptoms of breast cancer. Pashik says while self-exams can be helpful, they have led to people have led people to receive unnecessary cancer tests. I tell people what's most important is just to know what your own breasts feel like, right? You know, when you're getting in the shower, take a look in the mirror because sometimes you can see asymmetry, you can see dimpling, like if your nipple starts doing funky things, you know, um, and just get the sense of what's normal for you. Tashik says maintaining an active and healthy lifestyle is not only important for preventing breast cancer, but other types of cancer as well. Um, and even just how we eat, you know, our weight, um, you know, women who are obese are at higher risk of certain type of breast cancer. So um, maintaining an active and healthy lifestyle, not just for breast cancer, but for any other cancer in your overall health is incredibly important. The United States Preventative Services Task Force recommends women who are 50 to 74 years old and are at risk for breast cancer to get a mammogram every two years. According to the American Cancer Society, one in eight women will have breast cancer at some point in their lives. For patients who are high risk, though, we typically recommend that you start getting your screening mammograms um, and or MRI, breast MRI, starting 10 years between, uh, before the youngest affected person in your family. So if your mom had a breast cancer at age 36, you might start considering getting screening MRI at, at age 26. The Alaska Division of Public Health offers an assistance program to help eligible Alaskans receive breast and cervical health screenings. Those who enroll can receive free mammograms and pap tests. To to contact the assistance program, call 1-800-410-6266. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Floor.